Good morning, church family, and uh, I'm just glad that you're tuning in and, and uh, here this morning. Uh, thank you, Kyle and Macy, for leading us in uh, worship, and uh, what a blessing it is to, uh, to be led into the throne room. And, uh, we just know that as we worship together, uh, that God meets us in this place, and um, this morning we're going to continue on in our uh, study in the book of James, and we're going to hear what Pastor James has to say to us, and um, we're going to be in chapter 4, uh, verse 13 through 17, and so if you want to go ahead and get your scripture out and turn there, um, we'll, that's where we'll be camped out most of the, our time together. Um, you know, the Old Testament describes human life as uh, in Psalms and in the book of Job uh, in various ways. Uh, for instance, in Job chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For we were born yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow. You know, it's, it describes us as a, as a shadow. A man is a shadow. Just a, uh, Psalm 103, verse 15 and following says this, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and is, it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. It's like a breath. It's like a, a cloud that, that vanishes and is seen no more. So human life, is, we could say, is, is like grass. It's like a flower. And these, all of these are uh, ephemeral things. They're, they're, they appear, they, they have life for a moment, and then they're gone. Just like the breath on a cold day. Life appears, you see it, and then it vanishes. Now I've heard it said that the best soldiers are 18-year-old boys because they think they're invincible. And they're willing to run into a heavy fire because they don't realize that they're mortal. They don't think like that. And that's just how it is with, with younger people. It's the same deal with how they drive most of the time. <laughs> but but really, I, I say that about young people because these things are generally more obvious with them. I guess when people grow older, they get a little more cautious about things and drive slower and a little more carefully. You know, basically, I think most people are like that. We don't give much thought to our mortality. We don't want to think about those things. We don't want to think about death. But we all have an appointment. We don't want to think about that. So we put it out of our minds. Instead, we live like we are guaranteed tomorrow. The reality is, is we are just a breath. We're mortal. We can't hold on to the present. We can't know the future. And it's presumptuous to think that we could chart out the course of our own life. That's not to say that it's unwise to make plans, though. That's not what James is saying. Pastor James is not saying, don't make plans. What he is saying is it's unwise to make plans independent of God and to think that we have control of what we're doing and where we're going. So let's look and see what Pastor James has to say. In James chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 13, and we're going to read down through verse 17, through the end of the chapter. And James writes this, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. 
Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that vanishes, excuse me, that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the way that you speak to us through your word. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we uh, look into James and into your word. I pray that it would just uh, reveal to us the, the areas in our lives that we have not uh, given you full charge. And Father, that we are holding back in. And Father, that you would help us to truly to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto us. But Father, that is your promise. That is your word. And so I ask that you would lead us and guide us through your Holy Spirit as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, James charges his people um, with failing to involve the Lord in their plans. See, God is omitted from their plans. He's not part of the, the, the formula. He's, he's not in the mix. And there's a, there's a common sin dealt with here in this passage. And, and it leads to an arrogant confidence in the future. It's the sin of what I'm going to call practical atheism. Planning without taking God into account. See, I wish to make my plea early on, guilty as charged. You know, Kent Hughes, he said this, he said, So pervasive in our culture's arrogant independence of God that even many maybe even most Christians, attend church, they marry, they choose their vocations, they have children, they buy and sell homes, they expand their portfolio, and numbly ride the currents of culture without substantial reference to the will of God. In other words, we feel like we can do and make the decisions, we're smart enough to do whatever it is we want independent of God. So I ask you this question, what is your life? What is your life? It's not a question about the origin or the essence of life. James's answer is talking about the time in between your birth and in between your death, meaning that dash that's in between there. What, what is your life? What does it consist of? You know, there's a, there's a poem, it kind of goes like this. It goes, life slips through our fingers. When I, when as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I grew, time flew. Soon I shall find is passing on. Time gone. Folks, we only have so much time. That is the commodity. It's usually not about money. It's usually not about other things. It's usually about the time because we don't know how much time we have. 
See, the focus of this morning's passage is on the plans that we make. In James's day, you know, merchants and tradesmen, they would go uh, gather the goods and products from one city and, and they would take them to some other distant city and, and they would remain there and for some time and they would, they would sell uh, those goods at a profit. And then using those profits, they'd buy up some other goods and products from that city and take them to yet another city to sell. And this process was repeated over and over, maybe for a considerable number of years, until the merchant or tradesman became rich enough to to be able to return to his home and live prosperously. You see, James was singling out such people as an example of something that we all deal with in everyday life, and that has to be has to deal with planning for the future. We all want to make plans for the future. But James is obviously pointing out that something's wrong in the way that we make our plans. There's no more serious question has been asked than this one. What is your life? It's one of the greatest questions that has troubled philosophers, poets, inspired writers. I mean, what is the answer that we receive here from God's Word? I would say the first thing we see is that it's not wrong to make plans. That's not what is condemned here. James's words begin with an example of typical plans that are being made. I mean, the Bible calls us to the wisdom of planning ahead. There's several verses in Scripture that talk about planning ahead. And it presents us with examples of people who do so in, in a wise fashion. Now, there's nothing arrogant about making plans, nor is there anything spiritual about living passively and taking life as it comes. So they're not mutually exclusive. But see, our plans should always be subjected to the Lord's will. The Apostle Paul was a great example of this. He was a great maker of plans, and, but his plans were always prefaced by if the Lord wills. See, I believe that in this passage, James is calling us to pray. He's calling us to pray. There, there is something that I hope in the Lord to do, if the Lord wills and if the Lord permits it. But you see, to do otherwise is foolish. And that's what he's talking about. It's foolishness to think that you can plan and not include God in your plans. Look at Luke 12, chapter 12, verse 16 uh, through 21. And and it's the ultimate example of foolishness. And in this passage, um, it's a great passage. I thought I had it marked, but here it is. Luke 12, it says, "And, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. The land of the rich man was very productive. And so then he began to think in his own mind, well, what am I going to do when I, when I reap all these crops? I'm going to have to tear down my barns. I'm going to build. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll build new barns, bigger barns, and then I can store up all the grain and all the crops. And then I can just live, uh, eat, be, eat uh, drink, and be merry, and, and live a good life. And God said, you fool, your soul will be required of you tonight. And, and really, you know, it's, uh, 
it, it, it says that, and it says, Now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In other words, this man is not a fool because of, of, of what happened, because he made a plan. This man is a fool because he presumed to make his plans without taking God into account. And that's really what James is talking about. It's foolishness for us to, to make our plans without taking into account God. You see, we act foolishly when we plan without beginning our plans with prayer, talking to God. When we plan with too much reliance on the plan itself. We plan foolishly when we, when we plan with too much confidence in our own ability to make the plan work. And we plan in such a way as to presume on the grace of God. You know, it's amazing to me how the Holy Spirit works. You know, we're, we come to this where uh, our leadership and our staff is working on our budgets. <laughs> it's foolishness for us to plan without praying. And, to, and to, to not plan or plan that we can do it or work the plan and, and do all of these things, you know, on our own ability. You know, it's like, it's like saying, God, forgive me for what I'm about to do. Or, or thinking, I know this is wrong, but I'll, I'll have time to repent later. God is saying, include me on the front end of what your plans are. Let me help you with those. See, there's, there's three realities that I want to point out here that should be uh, that, that should humble our plans, if you will. One thing that James brings out is the uncertainty of the future. That should humble our plans. <laughs> because of what we have seen this year through the coronavirus and through 2020, the uncertainty of the future should humble our plans. I mean, we all plan to show up for work on Monday. We don't, but we don't know really whether Monday will ever come for us. We plan to celebrate Christmas this year, or to reach old age, or to be in church on Sunday, but none of us really know for sure that we will. We don't even know what tomorrow will bring. And so this lack of knowledge isn't just true of our lives, it's also true of our health. It's also true of our jobs. It's also true of our homes. I mean, we can't make, we can make plans about these things, and it's wise that we would do so, but we should not boast arrogantly as if we can see into the future, because we can't. So the uncertainty of the future should humble our, our plans. Secondly, I would say this, the frailty of our lives. You know, to make long-term plans on the presumption of the durability of our lives is as unwise as hanging our hopes on a puff of smoke. To arrogantly make plans on the basis of the presumption of our own longevity, that we're going to actually be around for this, is like planning to hammer a nail into a soap bubble. We just don't know. We don't know what the future holds. The future is uncertain. Life is frail. James says it's like a vapor. It's here, and then it's gone. And so we don't know. And so this should humble our plans. 
I would also say that we tend to underestimate, thirdly, the power of the will of God. James means not just simply that we might do these things if the Lord wills, but if, if the Lord wills, <laughs> we will even be allowed to live. Our life is in His hands. That's what that verse says. It says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord lives, excuse me, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. It's not a given that we will be alive tomorrow. It's not a given that the future is certain tomorrow. What is a given is the power of the will of God. If the Lord wills, we will live. That's a true statement. I love that. See, this is the greatest factor in all, of all in humbling our plans. Because our life, our health, our possessions, even our tomorrow is in the hand of God. And His will, not ours, is the highest. The fact of this authority of God's will is also the greatest cause for our own confidence in our plans. I mean, when you think about it, if God gives you the plan, if it's God's will, then He will bring it to fruition. How much more confident could we be in something? Because if God is leading us in this, then this is where we need to be. Because God doesn't lead us down a road and then turn us around and hike us back out. That's not God's will. God's will will be done. Because it's His will. And there is tremendous power in, in the will of Almighty God. See, life is fleeting. But it's not just a journey of disappointments that have no meaning. Life is not simply an opportunity to indulge our human appetites. So I asked the question, and it's a fair question. So where does God fit in? Where does He fit in to your life? Where does He fit into mine? Because you see, above all else, above everything else, life is a walk with God. Life is a walk with God. We walk with God through life. Through the good times, through the bad times, through the planning, through the uncertainty, through the, 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 the healthy times, through the sick times, through the, the wealth, through the, 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 the poverty. We walk with Him through it all. It is a walk with God. Life may be brief, but with God, life will never be a waste. You know, I was reading in, uh, in the book of Hebrews, and it was talking about all these um, uh, heroes of the faith. And I, I came across Enoch, and Enoch never died. And you know, he was 65 years old when he gave birth to Methuselah. And he didn't give birth, but his wife did. And um, you know, when he begat, <laughs> when he became the father of, of Methuselah. But uh, after that, it says, after he became the father of Methuselah, he walked with God for 300 years. Man, I would love to be known 
as a man that walked with God for 300 years. What an incredible testimony. That man walks with God. See, I believe there's a very close connection between these verses 13 through 16 and then verse 17. Let me read verse 17. It says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. See, if I am arrogant enough to believe that I will be very successful in a short period of time, then this may become my excuse for not doing what I know I should do. You know, I see that poor family maybe in the church that needs help, and I have the money to meet their need. But I convince myself that if I invest this money in my certain business venture, then I will have much more money to give next year. So I procrastinate and I don't do what I know that I need to do that God has put on my heart and therefore to me it is sin. You know, there are ministries that need my help. But I salve my conscience by thinking that if I invest my time in my new business, then I'll have much more time and money in the future. And we begin to rationalize so that we don't do the good that we could do now because we're, we're thinking arrogantly that we're going to have more in the future to do. See, it's a religious excuse for disobedience. Something at which the Jews in James's day and we today are highly skilled at. Oh, we love to procrastinate. We love to make an excuse for us not to do the right thing that God has put on our heart to do. And James says, to him it is sin. By the way, notice that this business sounds purely hypothetical. It doesn't even exist. It's the business that I am sure I can succeed at. But I have not yet begun to do it. And that's really what he's addressing. Is I'm going to start this business. I don't have this business. I'm going to start this business. And if I go do that, then I will be successful. Mm -mm. Do the right that you know to do now. You know, it reminds me of Proverbs 17, verse 24. Where it says, Wisdom is in the presence of the one who has understanding. But the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. They're thinking about all these other things they could be doing. And it's like, no, just do what God has put in front of you to do. The right thing. See, future, or I want to say alleged, <laughs> prosperity becomes my excuse for procrastination. But on the other hand, if I realize that my life is like a vapor and that I'm only here for a very short period of time and I'm prompted not to hesitate, to do the good that is before me to do without delay. See, that's what James is getting at. We're only here for a short period of time. So we need to get after it. 
We need to do the things that he calls us to do. We need to do the things that he shares with us and puts on our hearts. See, when the world is our first desire, we show ourselves to be more like pagans than, than Christians. And when the world is our first desire, we show ourselves to be hypocritical hearers of the word and not doers of the word. See, it's all a matter of priorities. Jesus said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough, enough trouble of its own. So how is it that tomorrow will take care of itself? Let me tell you, tomorrow will take care of itself because the Lord is the one in control. Let me say that again. Tomorrow will take care of itself because the Lord is the one in control. See, that's the answer that James gives us. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. See, I encourage you, of course, to make plans for the future and plan wisely. Because Ephesians 5.15, this is my paraphrase, says don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. Be wise. It, it actually says don't be unwise. But basically don't be dumb about what you're doing. Be intentional about what you are going to be involved in. Don't live for the world. Be intentional about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I mean, the devil wants to waste your money on a, a, a zillion things. Our Lord wants you to invest that in the kingdom of God. I mean, you can, you can live without giving, but you cannot love without giving. Giving your time, giving your talents, giving your treasure, all of these things are things that we have to be intentional about because the future is not guaranteed. See, to give up control of your life may be a difficult thing. That may be the most difficult thing for you. But this is the encouragement, the exhortation that James gives us. But it's also the encouragement that Christ gave us. See, living for yourself is the way of the world. Everybody's living for themselves. But as a Christian... As a believer in Jesus Christ, we are called to not be conformed to this world. Newsflash, you're not to live for yourself. You're to live for God and to live for others. We're called to become more like Christ. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of His. And since our calling is to be like Christ, He has to be our greatest priority, not the world. Worldly pursuits and gains have their place, but their place is always, always, always secondary to the will of the Lord. Will you 
resolve from this day forward to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Would you resolve that? That you would do that with intentionality and let God worry about tomorrow? About your tomorrow? Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you, Father, how you challenge us. And Father, that we would live with intentionality in the kingdom. Father, that we would be devoted to you, Lord Jesus. That we would seek after you. Father, that, that we would sacrifice to see your kingdom move forward. Father, that we would want to be all in with you. Knowing that you love us so much. Knowing that, you, that, that, that your will is supreme. That there is nothing on earth, on, in heaven, that, that does not happen apart from your will. So, Father, I pray that you would help us just to surrender to your will in every area of our life. Father, we don't need to be anxious about it. We don't need to worry about how you're going to provide or what you're going to do. Father, you own it all. And, Father, I thank you that you are our God. Father, that we can rest and have the confidence to know that if we're here tomorrow or if we're not, either way, we are with you. Father, if we live tomorrow, if we don't, we are with you face to face. What a blessing it is to have that kind of Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Holy Spirit for guiding us and convicting our hearts. Thank you for the truth, Father, of your word that stands forever. Father, may we be forever transformed by your word and by your will. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.